I make art that's expressive of who I am and I make art that's expressive of belief and hopefully a prayer I need to pray so that someone else might pray it too. But it still needs to feel and be collaborative. Otherwise, you know, it's just for me. And that's fine if it's just for me, but I really love the idea of making it something that is for all of us, you know? You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast, uh, social media exploration. That's not Let me read it off. The, an exploration in social media ministry. I got that all backwards. Uh, but hey, welcome back. We, we just we enjoy being able to, to explore and talk to different people about the ways that individuals like you and I are using social media um, in a way to reach people um, and to to minister to people. And so today we've got a friend of the show, um, Sarah. (laughs) I totally skipped over you. Hey. I I exist. Today today we've got uh, our our co-host, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hey, hey. And we've got a friend of the show, uh, Elias Dummer. Hey, how's it going? It's going great, man. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's yeah. hectic, but I'm good. <laughs> good, good. Oh, man. If you're listening today, you might know Elias from your time in the, the City Harmonic. Uh, you gave us the well-known song, Manifesto. Um, or more recently, from your hit, Enough. Um, or many of your other worship songs, which we loved. Um, and so oh, we're we're excited you. to have you. We are so so excited to have you with us today, Thanks, um, guys. Just enjoy what you're doing on on TikTok, which is what we're going to get to talk about today. Cool. All right. So before we go too deep, we just want to know like the basics of who you are. Like, who's your people? Where are you at? Do you have a dog? That sort of like little bit of bio. Yeah. Um, well, I I'm Elias Dummer. Was in the City Harmonic for a long time. Um, and then when that, when we kind of closed the chapter up there, I started doing my own music. I had planted a church or helped to plant a church here in Nashville, where I live. Uh, I'm from Canada and I'm actually, uh, in the process of heading back to Canada now. Um, but we, uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. I've been making a record for the last couple of years, which is out July 29th. Um, so it's been a long time coming and a lot of heart and soul in it. Probably, probably the longest production process of any record I've made. Um, but my wife, Megan and I have five kids, two dogs, two cats. We live just outside Nashville and, uh, are, you know, have a very busy house, but we love it. Our kids and dogs and cats sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot of commotion and, my kids are each as geeky as I am some of the time in different ways, of course, into creative, creative energies, and like in terms of art, music and stuff like that, too. And so it's been it's a bit of a wild house. <laughs> so, um, what platforms are you on and what's your preferred platform? Uh, I'm I have one of those weird names that allows me to be going by the same moniker everywhere I am. So 
I am everywhere. I I tend to enjoy uh, Instagram and TikTok these days the most. Uh, Twitter, Twitter is fun in its own way, um, but I I don't I don't spend a lot of time there. And fa- I used to do a lot of Facebook. Was part of a lot of Facebook groups and discussion boards and stuff like that. Um, but I, over time, TikTok just ended up being a short form video format ended up being a lot of fun and uh, got a really great response to it. So I've just kind of been doing that. Um, so yeah, I'm everywhere is the answer. Oh, no, that's good. Well, so I discovered you on TikTok, um, and it's been really great just watching some of the things you're doing, looking forward to getting into all that. But can you briefly share a little bit, uh, if you don't mind, the kind of the the story the journey from going into the city harmonic and into where you are now as a solo artist yeah i mean so city harmonic we had a bit of a crazy foundation story so uh i i've i used to work at a church as a worship director and then when when i stepped out of that role um i had been like a lot of worship directors i'd been doing a lot of the kind of marketing and creative and design stuff i'd overseen a lot of that we had a small magazine and i'd even done a research paper on the demographics of the area we were in and all kinds of stuff so when that position ended um i was encouraged by the board of the church to start my marketing agencies i turned around and i did that um and i've been running that 15 years now um it's called rock firm and uh so we I ended up bartering with a studio in the Toronto area to redo the website and branding stuff for them in exchange for 60 hours of studio time. And then that's how we made the first city harmonic record. So we went and made manifesto and every, everything on the first EP except for the song coming my way was done as part of that barter deal. So it was $0 just time. And then um, we printed it and I had had a publishing deal since I was about 21 with some guys in Canada and the United States who were industry guys and uh, got really excited about what city harmonic was. And we ended up with this huge Bart, this huge kind of uh, bidding war in the, in the, in the labels. And the rest was kind of history where manifesto hit the radio and did well. And we were on the road in the midst of that Eric had cancer. And so there's a lot of challenges that came with that. Um, And by 2017, we sort of decided as to part as friends and close the book and uh, move on to other things. And uh, we still check all the time. I was talking to Eric last week and the other guys. So it's just kind of a, we, 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 we existed city harmonic existed for a very specific thing. And that was to really try to shine a light on church unity as an idea. And we did that. Well, we made a movie about it. We did a lot of stuff around the music with it. Um, and that was it. You know, so we, we, uh, by 2017, we felt like we had said all we needed to say together and the band encouraged me to go solo as well. So I did I started working on my first record. Um, and then enough was part of that. I've been involved in this church I'd helped plant and there was just a lot of stuff going on around that. Then COVID hit, right? So the last couple of years has been a lot of transition, um, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but I've been uh, troubled and embarrassed at the behavior of so many Christians in public, the sorts of things people are saying and 
sometimes on behalf of Christ, and yet they're very unchrist things. And so it's it's kind of been a really difficult time. Um, actually, there's a quote that I uh, someone shared with me today that I think is really, really relevant. Um, so it was basically like, I, can't, I, I, I want to attribute it, but I can't remember who it is. Find it. It's it's often true that uh, a, adulthood is watching your heroes become human in front of you. Mm. And I've felt like in a lot of ways, that's what the last few years has felt like when it comes to faith in the church. Now, I, I was already old enough that I'd, you know, that had happened years ago, but watching it happen in public has been difficult and painful. And, and uh, so a lot of that went into this record that uh, comes out in a few weeks, just a lot of, earnestness um but i feel like in worship music in particular we we're so prone to like making every song and every man's song that we that songs can sometimes lack humanity altogether which you don't see in the psalms so i i've really taken it on as a challenge to try to write songs that speak to our day at least at least from our day even if it means that they're gone in 10 years it's fine so that's kind of kind of what I'm I'm doing now is getting this record ready to go and sharing it with my friends and and uh, that's been really fun. Well, you talked about how the the purpose or the heart of City Harmonic was to shine a light on um the unity, you know, mm-hmm. across denominational lines and things like that. And I we can see that that's the heart of who you are because in a lot of your songs you still are partnering with other people mm-hmm. from other bands and from from their own from their own life, um, I guess. When I think about like the the Kyrie, uh, the Kyrie liaison, mm-hmm. um, it's mercy we need. You you partnered with Zach from Citizens, mm-hmm. um, but you also crowdsourced a choir. Yeah. And so like the concept of crowdsourcing a choir is something that I think people were aware was happening during COVID. I was aware. If you were on TikTok, you're aware. Yeah. But there were, I mean, there were choirs that got shut down and, and artists who got shut down and, you know, Broadway shows that got shut down. And so people were putting together sort of sourced choirs like that. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you include that, that you have people from, you have Zach from a different band and you have these. So um, whose idea was it to pull the choir? Was that your idea? And how did yeah, you- Yeah, it, it was. And you know, funny, the, the handy thing about having worked in marketing all this time is tech and marketing are one and, are one and the same, really. And so I, I've been doing that all along. And in fact, if you look at this, at the music video for City Harmonic, Mountaintop, um, we did a crowdsourced video upload thing before other people even knew that it was possible to do that. So we, we, we were doing that all along. It was really important to us. I was, and I, I, you know, because of the budget on that, I spent a lot of the budget on kind of tech and the filming day. So our editing budget was really small. So I was literally in the van uh, with my 18 inch laptop. I had a huge laptop at the time, like editing in after effects, the, the, the like corners of the TVs to the uploaded videos while we're driving from, you know, Vegas to Utah or whatever. So it's just kind of this like ridiculous scenarios where, so all of the little videos that you see mountaintop um, and a few other CG things in that video. And I have a dream as well. Those were all done in the back of a bus or the back of a van on a little laptop while we're going from city to city. So I've I've been doing that all along. I really, really love it because I, there's this picture, um, I can't remember which Beatles music video. It might be for uh, Let It Be. 
but there's this uh oh hey jude the end of hey jude i think there's this scene where they're the beatles are on stage playing and there's everyone's just kind of on the stage like there's just people everywhere as part of this the, the line between the performers and the audience is just utterly demolished and i i've always kind of had this romantic view of that being the artist's goal whether that's a worship leader or not it's to erase the fifth wall and the more we can do that better i mean i i don't i make art that's expressive of who i am and i make art that's expressive of belief and hopefully a prayer i need to pray so that someone else might pray it too but it still needs to feel and be collaborative otherwise you know it's just for me and that's fine if it's just for me but I really love the idea of making it something that is for all of us, you know? Where did the, where did you find the, the people? So, um, what I did was we, yeah, cause it could have just been open season. Right. Um, so what I did on this one was we did an Indiegogo fundraiser for the record. And then, uh, what I, what I said was that everybody who funded the record could either upload themselves or send the link to someone of their choosing to for, to have them upload. So that limited it to a few hundred people. And then um, in the end, I think we had 50 or 60 people who uploaded performances. You talk about um, like bringing those people in and, and I think about like, um, and when God appears to Moses and Moses says like, can you give me some evidence that you are who you say you are? Right. And God could have been like, okay, so you're going to go and there's going to be these like plagues. Okay. Or mm. you're going to go and the water's going to part, but that's not the evidence that God offers that he is who right. he says he is. He says um, that you'll know I am who you, who I say I am when you worship with your people in freedom on this mountain. So mm. like the evidence of the power of God, the evidence that God says he is who he says he is, it's not miracles and signs and wonders. It's, the turning of the heart of man off of himself in freedom and community mm -hmm. to God. And I, well, I, I go ahead. No, please. No, I just, I just like, when I think of worship and I think of the way, like I have thought in the past when people say, I've heard people say, well, you know, um, they'll say of other churches, churches, they'll say, well, that worship doesn't really do it for me. Or like when this person plays, it doesn't really do it for me. Or I don't like it when it's really cranked up loud or the lights are too low. And it's like, well, who are, who are you worshiping? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like, so you think of first Peter, you have this recollect recollection in Peter of the transfiguration, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's the moment where Jesus takes key disciples up on the mountain and you know, Elijah and Moses appear to them in, in a flight. So there's, it's a real callback to what you're talking about on, on Mount. Right. Um, and what's interesting is that it, while one promise was, you'll see me here, you'll be here you worship on this mountaintop. Um, the interesting thing is in first Peter, Peter reveals it's the opposite that they had the entire wrong idea, about what was happening at the transfiguration. And I think we still often have the wrong idea about what's happening in, in, the, in the, these moments of intimacy with God, where the disciples went up mountain, they see Jesus and, and his buddies and they go we need to build a tent and live here forever. This is, this is what it means to be human is to be in this special place divided from everything else 
to be in this special place with Jesus. That's the moment that we're, we're made for. And then God says, uh-uh-uh, trust my son. And the son says, let's go, and takes them down into the valley to see a demon-possessed boy. So there's this quite the opposite idea of what we often have in worship. Worship is not worship is an end, yes, but it is a transformational end for the transformation of the nations and the world. So there's this endless sense in which worship is fuel. Now its its purpose is an end in itself. Yes, that's theologically true. But the out the result of that, maybe even a byproduct, is that we go back out into the world, hopefully more Christ-like. And and in being more Christ-like, we are bringing freedom, light, kindness, love to the way to the world in which we live, which is exactly what we see in the Transfiguration. So I love the pairing between the Old Testament version of the story and this commission that Jesus gives us to be salt and light and love in the world. And and it so often feels in our worship movements that because it is advantageous to do so. We sit, we sit in the idea of holy spaces without letting those holy spaces become us and us become holy spaces to the world. Mm. And, I, and I, I, so the connection between worship and justice and worship and mission and worship and change in the community has always been very apparent to me and frustrates me endlessly in the sorts of things that we talk about when we talk about worship. Because Amos 5 points out plain as day that all of our religious feasts and festivals, if we don't care about the plight of the poor, are for nothing. So if we're going to say, and Jesus says that in the in the uh, greatest commitment too, if you're going to say that you love God with your whole lives and you don't love your neighbor as yourself, what are you doing? So, so I kind of really like to take both a narrow definition of worship and a broad definition of worship in the sense of like, narrowly speaking, sure, I'm okay using the nomenclature of worship to talk about singing in church. That really doesn't bother me that much. Otherwise, we're just, we start to get into like six syllable descriptions of activity that we have one word for. So we just move on, you know? But I also think it's important for us to say the Christian life in general is actually an all in thing. And this 80 minutes that we have together, this 80 minutes is about our shared corporate experience. It is prayer from start to finish. And that ought to shape every piece of it, not just our singing, but frankly, the, the style of sermon that we have, the way that we're, if we're not doing things, we are collaborative in nature, they are corporate in nature, in a society, and this might be a problem, but it is a reality, in a society as individualistic and willful as ours is, I don't know what it is we think we're doing in church. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. so I... I think there's a lot for us to think about and chew on. And as science is, you know, revealing more and more about how the brain works and how people learn and various things like that, um, I think it ought to inform some of how we approach or doing what we're doing on a Sunday morning too, and includes yeah. worship. Yeah. As we are recording, I just finished out on a week-long youth camp that had different um, different youth groups from different churches across all different denominations uh -huh. and they served the community um did different service proje projects in our local area awesome and um our and last night they um closed out with a service and in that service um our youth pastor gave a message on the transfiguration and 
so it's really it's really nice to be like to hear what you have to say about that we she talked about how also like um like it starts out and it says after six days and she was like well let's look what what just came from that and um like right before that jesus is like i need to be plain about who i am and peter's like maybe not like maybe you actually mean is this and jesus is like you don't know yeah Uh -uh. Peter don't get it yeah and so like it's encouraging to hear that eventually like he like it turned out it turned out yeah well, then, 30 years later or whatever, when he writes his letter, he finally gets it. My yeah. The turn of phrase in First Peter that really blows, I think it's First Peter, that really blows my mind is, as long as I am in the tent of this body. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Have you heard yeah. that? I hadn't. That is awesome. So, so he's, the phrase is literally the same phrase used to describe tent in the transfiguration story. So what Peter is saying is the lesson of the transfiguration is that we are the bricks and mortar of the house of the Holy Spirit. That is so like so as, as long as I am in the tent of this body, I will testify what I saw on that mountaintop. When what Peter was doing on the mountaintop itself at the time was trap it there. And Jesus was like, no, 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 it doesn't belong here. It belongs out there. So you are that thing. You, the church, are that thing. Which is sort of why... I think it it matters a great deal on an individual level. It matters on a corporate level and it matters for the world. And in other words, like we have this sort of disconnect in our gospel that's been kicking around for a long time. Christianity has always flirted with dualism and is constantly corrected on it, but still flirts with it anyway. And, and yet you see in this, this picture of God making persons whole and us whole as a church. And that's sort of why unity has been so important to me, why understanding that Christians have bodies and that's a good thing is important to me. I mean, there's sort of this ways in which like being whole in Christ has such a profound impact from in sort of these rings of concentric circles. That the transfiguration is such a beautiful picture of the ways in which we miss it, you know? Mm. Yeah, we, we told it, we talked to the kids about like, you want to, like how Peter's like, I want to just stay here. Yes. Um, it also paired with like the whole week they had been serving. Yeah. And Jesus came, like, Peter was like, this is the kind of Messiah I want you to be. And Jesus throws it back and it's like, no, I came to be the suffering servant. Like it's yep. a different deal. Mm-hmm. And so we're not just going to stay up here and have this nice protected time where we're kind of untouchable and it's, it's a beautiful yep. thing. We're going to go out. And we are going to continue to worship, but we are going to worship in the way that says, I am the suffering servant. And I thought I couldn't agree more. Amen. That's fantastic. Yes. That's well, this so is good. very confirming to me. It's very, very sweet. awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. That's so good. Hatcher, did you have anything before I ask him about the, oh no, about the, um... the song? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can do that. So we have a document Elias that we kind of like, we just rough cool. it, you know, but oh, sometimes good. like that, oh, that last conversation is just like, okay, where do we insert kind of the next? Cause that's no such a worries. great conversation. We don't hold, hold hard to this, but I do think that this question I was, was getting ready to ask, cause this question um, or, or this, this framing, I think just flows out of it anyway. So the lyrics of Kyrie Ellison are, are powerful. Um, and you, you saying, I held them up. They let me down. Don't hold me up. I'll do the same thing. All it takes is a look around to see that they're broken, to see that I'm broken. And underneath it all, what we really want, a prophet to teach it, a shepherd to lead us, a king to believe in. 
but isn't that Jesus? And we hear these stories often about artists who rose to fame in the 80s and 90s, uh, 90s and, and 2000s, who hit a point where they stepped back and said, wow, this really isn't what it's supposed to be like. And so some have turned away from faith and some are trying to figure out, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus faithfully? And I think inside of this, uh, it is looking out and seeing that something's wrong. Oh, right? yeah. And yeah. So I mean, I, well, and I, it, it actually gets a lot closer to home than even that. So Zach was part of Mars Hill. Mm -hmm. This This song was written about Mark Driscoll and someone in my own life that had disappointed us at a, at a smaller church growing up. So on some level, this is about our own, it's confessional for a reason. I mean, I think, you know, I have the benefit of being removed by years from my kind of very hurtful experience in the church. And even now what that song, what that verse and the second verse speaks to uh, is, is really this vindictive tendency to be mm. like, because there is a sense in which, yes, our structures are broken. They are. They are broken. They're, some of our theologies are fueling broken structures. That's true. There are issues, that, particularly in America, that we take angles on as if they come from our political binaries instead of going, hey, with Christ in hand, I know approach these subjects this way. And there's a lot of broken stuff happening, and it's hurting a lot of people. And this song is about that, yes. But the answer to that... The answer to that, in my mind, is the Kyrie Eleison, which is an ancient, ancient song. It, Lord, have mercy. It, it's, now, that doesn't mean, it, I mean, it does mean love your enemies in a sense, because we can't really avoid that one. Jesus told us to do it. But, it, but it, it also means, hey, we all actually need mercy. The, the, our tendency to be self-righteous in the midst of these things and to believe the crap that people say about us, good and bad, to speak to you, comment about fame playing a role is that like, there is this desire in us to be better than someone. The person that hurt me, I'm not them. That might be true, that in the thing that they did, I'm not going to do that. I'll probably do something to somebody else, but for the grace of God. And I, and I think that that's kind of the heart of it for both Zach and I, was like, at the end of the day, the central Christian prayers are God forgive us for we know not what we do. And, and, and are not... Thank goodness that I am a Pharisee and not a woman or a Gentile. I mean, yeah. and, and so often that's, we just keep wanting to pray. Thank God I'm not a woman or a Gentile and I'm instead a Pharisee. And, and when it's not the prayer that we're given to pray, we're given Lord have mercy uh, to pray. And, and, and so that, that's kind of really what the heartbeat behind that is. But I, I don't want to lose in the midst of that that while it is a song saying, Lord of mercy, it is also a song saying, we've got some broken stuff happening and we need to do something yeah. about it. So there's, there's, yeah. there's that tense reality of, which is always true for the Christian, I believe, of living in the now, but not yet. The not yet is Lord of mercy on each of us, including myself, a sinner, and of, of whom I am the worst. I judge no people in, in the hopes of saying, hey, this is an idea we can talk about. You are not your ideas. Let's talk about the ideas. That's true. That's that's true in a sense, and also kind of not yet. But the now is like, hey, we're in this broken reality that we can do something about. We are not told to just sit idly by and wait for the not yet. That's just not how the church ever did business. Yeah. And so, 
So there's that tension. And I, I think we just need to be a lot more comfortable. I, my E and my evangelical is very small, but for, for us evangelicals, if you will, um, growing up in Canada, I have almost no romantic attachment to the words. So it's a strange thing, but, um, for us evangelicals, we just really need to get a lot more comfortable with that tension of doing work that despite our kind of Western pragmatism, we may see some fruit for, but if we try to measure in the way that one measures how many widgets they sold last month, it's going to be difficult to do. And that's not really what we're told to do. So, so yeah. that, that tension is there and I'm still processing it. Honestly, not just that song. A lot of this record is an attempt to, to process disenchantment and yet obsession with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I, I, I guess my next question is like, from your perspective, you know, having been in the industry for a while, like, mm -hmm. are there changes you're seeing because of this larger movement of realizing that like something has to change and more artists, you know, from that time being something, something was broken here. And how do we move towards more faithfully following Jesus in the midst of this industry that we're in? You know, yeah. in the end, it is a, a music industry that has ties all over uh, the secular part of the industry. I mean, I have no problem. I mean, I'm the very next record I plan to make is is one that, you know, will overlap into the secular space. I have no problem with secular music. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am probably more concerned at the number of people making use of Christian music as a marketing category and doing so from the standpoint of not really knowing what they believe or doing it for, you know, commercial reasons alone. I don't have a problem with commerce. I don't have a problem with business. I, I have a problem with dressing things up spiritually in order to avoid being honest. And that happens a lot. Mm. And so I, I just, I just think it's best to be honest and human. I mean, Christians are missional by nature. So the idea I've, I've struggled a long time with the kind of difference between or the function of Christian music, as opposed to worship music, for example, I, I'm kind of like, well, why wouldn't you just be a band and write real story songs and, and live your life that way? Well, that's totally possible. So, so it's, it is a, it is tension. Um, I, the thing for me that I'm probably the least comfortable with is the degree to which uh, Christian music can be used as sort of a cultural support tool for politics and for, you know, flying a certain political flag. And I mean, there was one artist who hit number one in the Christian music category and all that they had done was run political rallies and call them something other than that. And I, I just really was uncomfortable with it all. And, and just because of what it means and does and says about what it is that we think we're doing. If at the end of the day, worship has some discipleship function, and I believe it does. It, worship trains, it trains our hearts, trains our, yes, it trains our minds, but almost as importantly, it trains our emotions and our instincts and our habits and our, our kind of the, the eddy that our rivers flow into are all kind of shaped by worship. And so the question is like, yeah, we worship is always discipling. When we get together and we sing, we're shaping something. The question is, what are we being shaped into? Is it Christ-like or is it a political pawn? You know, and and 
I just find that exhausting. So I look at that in the, in the Christian space, and I'm probably more concerned about that than I am by whether somebody made a buck or two, you know? Um, there are people who are certainly doing things for their various reasons. Everybody has complex reasons for doing what they're doing. But I've, all I can control is myself in a sense. And so what I've tried to do is do this in a way that allows me to be earnest. And so I have other businesses, I have other things I do so that I'm not putting all of the financial pressure on music and I can put myself into it without being terrified of it. Mm. And I, I think there is a tendency in all ministry. This is not just music. Pastors have this probably more than your average musician of being afraid of their audience. Knowing what is good and right and not feeling free to do it because of what the audience might say or think or do or because your board might vote you out or whatever. That's all ministry. And so I've I've kind of gone the part-time route where I... I have a few companies and, you know, I'm able to put a lot of time in music. Um, and, but I'm able to do it with sort of a, a clean heart in a sense of, mm. I, I can afford to be honest because I've made it that way on purpose. And that's that in the same way, I didn't enjoy working full-time at a church because I just politics of it really, really got to me. One of the shifts that like a, the typical music um, listener, person who takes this stuff in, can see from from the late 90s when I was a youth um, and was introduced to the concept of like the Christian music industry, which, you know, I'm, I am, I don't have anything, you know, I, I accepted Christ at a Supertones concert. So, right. oh, Scott, there we go. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm pro anything that the Lord wants to use, you know, yes. like, yeah. and I'm, I'm so thankful that the supertones mm -hmm. were where they were and it, it mattered in my life, what they did yeah. and mattered for the rest of my life and matters for eternity, you know? Right. Right. But you know, I didn't, I don't think I didn't realize until I listened to the Mars Hill podcast that, that they started a record label or they had, they had bands. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and now you see that, more you see that with Bethel and Hillsong and Elevation and they have mm -hmm. their music that they put out and and I've thought about when I look at those sort of things and that's becoming more popular yeah mm -hmm. yeah it reminds me of like you know you have John and Charles Wesley who are going and they're like making massive shifts in theology and one of the things that they did was carry music with them like Charles mm -hmm. wrote thousands of hymns and so music is a teaching tool as much as also it is for ushering people into the presence of God, where you can teach sound theology or you can teach not sound theology. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I really like about what you put out there is that you can tell that, that you've put thought and you want to make sure that this is representative of who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. You do a good job of- Thank you. Oh, sure. Thank you. If you pair it with like storytelling and teaching. And so it's more than just like giving a catchy ditty that then, you know, goes viral or shoots the right. top of the or whatever. Um, and so it makes it like you can see the discipleship in that worship. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that, like how you, you do that on your own platform in your own space. And so the way we saw 
like mega churches saying, well, they did that and we're going to do our own thing and we're going to do our own thing. And so they take over the worship that we use and the, and mm. the teaching that we get. And for many people, worship, those worship songs are the only discipleship they're getting outside of Sunday mm. morning. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And so it shapes their faith and it shapes their belief mm-hmm. systems. And so like what you said, if there is a popular artist and he is using it to shape people politically mm-hmm. and he is using politically and he is he is shifting people's the- theology to match American an American political view. And so Hector and I like we believe in the power of social media and and using those platforms to represent Christ faithfully, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we love that it um, it unlocks the door for so many different people. So there are other people out there who have that same heart that you have. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk about your platform, how how you use it, how you model it, and how um, how other people who will never be a part of Elevation or Bethel or Hillsong and never have the opportunities that they have, but they can in their space represent Christ faithfully and teach well and disciple well through worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think back to when the city harmonic was a band, there were times when I would, there was a time when I started blogging and I did a few blog posts that aired at the gate and they went pretty well. I mean, many viral in their own right. They were on Huffington post and all kinds of stuff like this. And so it was a hot take of sorts. It was like, hey, I don't think these things that we're calling Christian are Christian. I think we need to be more Christ-like in this. And those did well. But I had a moment of realizing that uh, even though I was me, I was me and a representative of the city harmonic. And if the guys, how did I, did I want to be a guy who, because I shared an opinion on the internet, meant that, you know, our band lost their ability to do our jobs and now my drummer doesn't have Thanksgiving dinner and my front of house guy doesn't have Thanksgiving dinner because I shared an opinion on the internet. And that terrified me and I stopped. I just abruptly stopped blogging because I was like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be a guy whose opinions mean someone else doesn't eat. So I think that in terms of folks who are in these camps you describe where there are people and I, and I feel for them in a sense. I feel for maybe they see a disconnect between something that the organization stands for and that they stand for, or maybe they, you know, just have different sets of priorities. But I am grateful now being on my own that I can essentially be earnest in all my dealings. And if somebody comes along and says, Hey, uh, I really love what you're doing. I feel this. Great. If someone comes along and says, Hey, I disagree with you. I'm, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm down for the conversation every time on social media. I'll do it. But, and I find other people are actually less inclined to have a real conversation when they realize there is one coming. Um, that is often the case. Like, yeah. Oh, you're, you're ready for this. I wasn't, I was just being snarky. I'm out. Sorry. You know, it happens all the time. Um, but the, the tendency um, to, to protect yourself and the interests of others when you're part of a larger organization I think I, I kind of empathize with, I, it, I understand it. It frustrates me, but I understand. It. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of glad now that I'm able on my own name to use platform to be genuine. 
and not worry about it. Um, partly because, like I said, I've, music helps my family live, but it's not the only means by which my family lives. And so, you know, I'm not worried about whether my kids will eat if suddenly I'm anathema to CCM or something because I said something that was a true conviction, you know? And I think that's, that's the main thing for me is be able to operate from a place of conviction um, and, and hopefully following the Holy Spirit in that. And I mean that in a very rooted, grounded, biblical way of, of doing this missional thing Jesus appears to have given us to do. Um, and, and I mean, you, you see it in Corinthians. I mean, we are, as the church, called not to judge the world, but to judge the church. And so often, and, and in that sense, not judges like you're, you know, blah, but judges in we're to call the church to task. That's what we, we do not exist to call the American people to task. That is not, that is not biblical. We are to call each other to task to be reflections of God's image in the world. Very different. And, and sometimes it feels like in the kinds of worship songs we write that we're putting the commercial interest first, which eventually means, eventually, given enough time, and we're 40 years into this, 50 years into the thing now, right? Um, you give something like that enough time, you give the chart enough time, and what you have is a little bit of an echo chamber where songs are being written to, that do the job of expressing what a person needs to hear. They're not all that, or sorry, wants to hear. So there's a, a tendency to sort of go, I'm going to write a song that will work as opposed to write a song that reflects where I'm coming from right now. Now, every single one of the organizations is a mixed bag in that, where there and each, each person is. There's a, a moment in which I'm writing a song that I think will connect with people and trying my best to squeeze my real life into it, prayerful way. And, you know, I think everyone's trying to do that at some level. These institutions tend towards, because they're incentivized to do so, tend towards the thing which is working quickly every time. And, you know, challenging people never really pays the bills. So there's a, there's a little bit of that. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, doing what I'm doing has been fruitful at all. I mean, I just found out, just found out this weekend from uh, Integrity who distribute my music um, that my City Harmonic and, and my solo stuff is now has over a hundred million streams. And I was like, I had no idea. It was pretty cool. Um, so it's, it's not as if it doesn't work at all. It's not as if people aren't connecting with it, but, um, but there is a, a sort of challenge, I think, to operating as an artist, um, to, to, to holding the intention, the bridge between my convictions and what the world is, what the church, if you will, is ready to hear and willing to hear and figuring out constantly how to cross that bridge. It's tough, it's tough to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's kind of one of the, the next things I want to talk about is that, you know, we know that for years now we've known like talent is found on YouTube. It's easy to, you know, for companies and media companies to, to find the talent and, and even to plant the talent so that they get kind of the viral move as they're looking to release music or, or whatever. Yeah, the, is, right? the appearance of virality. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so just looking at, you know, we know that when kind of the TikTok and the Instagram kind of started blowing uh -huh. up with how to be able to, to make your own path um, uh, without the, the need for these entities and, and the money behind it. And so 
essentially seeing that there is a way forward where you don't you don't need to do that you know you've done that with like crowdsourcing the the crowd the choir that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. right like these aren't people that are you know sitting on a record label waiting to to get you know their album out they're people that are supporting your stuff and then come alongside what you're doing mm-hmm. and so um i want to bring that up because i think companies haven't figured out necessarily that there are some while there are some they haven't necessarily figured out how to take all of the control back on these social mm. media platforms. Um, and so what, what do you think is inside of that? Like, let's just ask you as, as Elias Dummer, like, what is your responsibility inside of that? Hmm. Um, it's funny. I think it kind of gets into a bit of a complex business conversation mm. um, because if you want to look at what, or corporations or organizations or institutions are going to do, you have to look at what they're incentivized to do. So you have to ask yourself in the modern music market, when do the people who own something get paid? And the truth is that in the streaming world, you get paid at the point of consumption, which, which means that all you need are your balls. That's it. Just get 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 the ear on the song and you get your 30 seconds and you get your stream and then you get your point zero zero whatever cents. That's how it works. So Christian music has largely depended on a single distribution channel, which has been Christian radio. And that is changing. But there's almost there's a there's a rush to the stream in the label system in particular, which means that everyone's desperate to get an editorial playlist, which makes a big difference. I mean, I've, I've been on editorial playlists a lot and that's been very, very helpful. I think what things like TikTok do, if you're willing to use them in this way, is open up the door to, to create actual fan bases. And I don't mean that in the like cynical way. I mean, to make con- human connections with people because I am a human being doing so. And, and that's very, very different from what Christian media has tended to do. Christian media has tended to rush to the buy and the persons involved. I mean, if you think of like w- the things that you know about Paul McCartney and compare that to the things that you know about a living Christian musician, it's like a hundred to one. And it's not about celebrity. It's, it's, there's a, there's a guardedness to Christian personalities as if we're interchangeable and don't have anything to say or do. And I just think that actually means that what ends up happening is that the Christian music audience loves the idea of Christian music, but cares much less about Christian artists than country fans care about country artists. So there's the, the idea of like, like you're, you're not as invested in the supertones as you know, as, as you, as you might've been, if it was some other kind of thing. And that's, that's just how it works, right? Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. But what it does mean as an artist, as a thinker, as a creative, is like on some level, being faithful to Christ means being myself and being vulnerable and transparent and risky in doing what I'm doing and hoping that I'm being wise through it. And I just think if I were dependent, if I were entirely dependent on the idea of Christian radio, if I were entirely dependent on the idea of gatekeepers involved at the liberal side or in the, uh, my church or whatever, um, the reality is it'd be much harder to be earnest and transparent and vulnerable because any one of those things could backfire at any time. 
So, so I, I, I don't know how one operates in the system. I've found it life-giving to operate outside of it and be grateful for when my footsteps in the water of the system and it works like enough is great, you know, but it, doing that independently, I'm, I'm still working with all of the people in the system to say the truth. I'm just not yeah. in it. So it's, it's, it's kind of figuring out how to be myself. And I don't mean that in some foo-foo way. I mean, just, you know, to be earnest and, and hope that the people that are coming alongside for the ride, know what the ride is. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I, I, I really think social media does that in a way that most artists, particularly most Christian artists, are afraid of because it would be very costly to be known if what they believe or think goes against the thing that they think they want. And, uh, it, this might seem harsh. I just think there's, a, there's a, a really healthy fear, well, not healthy, unhealthy fear of their own audience. I mean, if we, if we believe, for example, that Christian music is comprised of a certain kind of political person, let's just say, and you don't agree with everything and you know that they're eager to cancel. Um, well, what's going to happen if you say a thing that is a conviction that goes against with that, even if it has nothing to do with Jesus or the Bible, you know, let's take guns, for example. I mean, you could have, you could have an opinion on guns that might have more to do with trying to be faithful to Jesus than anything else. And a big chunk of the Christian music audience would be horribly offended by it. And on one level, you'd be going, I'm doing the job I believe I'm here to do. I have a pastoral role to play in this. And so, so that fear of the audience is kind of always there. And I just don't want to live that way. I'm too old. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that the cost to build the front is probably more than the cost to maintain it, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. if you, and it's more than the cost to just be vulnerably transparent in the long run. If you want to yes. measure out the economics of vulnerability, yep, like you can gain really quickly um, and I think we've talked about this recently about the um, the guy who built Patagonia talks about slow growth and he intentionally mm -hmm. slowed the growth. Mm -hmm. uh, but when something explodes, mm -hmm. it also dies really. Yep, that's right. So um, like if you will take the time to say, I'm going to think through this and I am not going to rush at the most successful route and and paint myself to look like the most successful thing so that yep. I can gain as fast as possible. Yep. And I'm sure that it is partnered with a sincere desire for the message that God has placed on your heart to reach yep. these people. A sincere 100%. It's social media and everything else comes down to human connection. I'll give yep. you an example. There's, so my TikTok, uh, I think I'm at like a, at the moment somewhere in the 11,000 range. Um, I only started doing these videos 10 weeks ago. So like I was at 300, I would do a thing once in a while. It was a little music thing. Just went, all right, I'm going to set up my camera. I'm going to get a workflow going and I'm going to do this two or three times a day because I wanted to. Um, I mean, good engagement. I think it's like 12%. Um, you know, the average video, 6,000 views on average, my videos gain me 95 followers. So it's like, like I said, I run a marketing agency. I care about the data and the way that it works, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's an artist who's a friend of mine 
who has a song, I won't say who it is, has a song going to radio. Um, I've been watching what they were doing on TikTok. Suddenly, one of their videos got nearly a million views. But if you look at the engagement on the videos around that video, it does not make sense for a video that had a million views. So pretty apparent from a insider professional standpoint that like, it was like, oh, it's really obvious to a marketer that that could bought views. Like really, yeah. really, really obvious. <clears throat> Christian worship leader. And that happens all the time in the Christian space, frankly. Um, paying for views and then going, hey, what, what's going on, you know? Um, now, what did that achieve? That gave them a story to tell Christian radio. So this is kind of what I mean. Like, there are ways, and, and what did those Christian radio gate? I don't know if the song is done especially well, but they did so that they could say, look at how people are responding without having to do the work of getting people to respond. Yeah. And that's because it would matter to the gatekeepers. And in the long run, it might not matter if the song got on the radio and then people responded to the song on the radio, the people respond. They just didn't respond when you thought they did. Yeah. I think about like the, like fake food in commercials and you know, like, we know at some point someone tells you that that stuff's not actually, it's not actually a real Whopper, you know? Right. And you got to think about the, like you're, the person you're referencing and, and many others like that person, like they put it out there and it is a beautiful thing and it is presented a good message, but they are not being fed. And that's dangerous that the person who is sitting there with the food would not be able to be fed, that they mm. would that they would starve, that they would go hungry to right. present something. So it is, it is really tricky. It, it really is. I'm not like saying that I don't, I, that person's my friend. I don't think horribly of them or anything like that. Um, but I do think to what you were saying earlier, that vulnerability is key. It's, it is about being willing, to, like, and this is true of the church, frankly, not just artists. Um, in, in, in business consulting, it is very typical to talk about the rate of growth as a thing that needs to be managed. That is common. So in other words, if you grow faster than your infrastructure support, you will likely fail. Almost any VC is going to look at that and say, Hey, how do you have someone on business operations? Do you have some building systems as you try to scale this company? And if you don't, then you're not serious about growth. If you're not serious about growth, I won't invest in you. But you don't see that same commitment to operational excellence in the church. You see a huge pressure put on rapid, rapid, rapid growth and scalability in the name of evangelism. And you don't see the same sort of work being put into growing deep roots in the people who the pressure is being put on to do this. And this is particularly true of the megachurch, but essentially you're turning sheep out to wolves always and, being, and you're comfortable with attrition. That happens all the time because... We're not looking at it as a discipleship thing. We're not looking at it as a thing that is rooted and growing in soil over years. Mm. We're looking at it as a thing. You have now become a Christian. Let's turn your fervor out on the world. That's kind of been the model of evangelism for like six years, right? So we have to think, okay, well, if Jesus is looking at us as slow growers from the beginning, maybe that's what's happening in faith. Maybe that's what's happening in life. And maybe that's what needs to be happening on social media. 
is building vulnerable, transparent connections with people in the hopes of over the long run, shaping each other to be more Christ-like through it all. There are shortcuts. They'll be there. Sometimes you take one if it seems like it can be ethically okay. And sometimes you think, I don't want a shortcut there. I'm, it, because in the long run, it won't get me what I want. So it just depends on what you're trying to do. If you're doing it for the sake of a platform, you could put on a bikini and dance around in the street. That would work even for me. Hey, guy in a bikini dancing around in the street, viral. What do you know? Like there are ways to get viral, just like there are ways to make money. You can make money, just whether you can live with yourself is the question, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. And so, so I, for me, <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that what I'm doing online is earnest and a little clever in terms of like paying attention and learning how the things work, learning how pe what people respond to. But I don't ever want to be pragmatic. I don't want to be doing the thing that will work without there being meat on the bones, you know? Like I love strategy. I love, I love getting the information. That's something that is how I'm wired. Yeah, me too. And so like, I think through these sort of, I know, like the things you can learn, the things you can know, and then what do you do with that information? And what is the mm -hmm. cost of what you do with that information? And I, a couple, it was, I think last, I think it was at Christmas that I said, you know, my, my prayer is for the, the pastor who is afraid to look into the manger because they're afraid that they will see a business model instead of a baby. Oof. Oh, and yes. And it's like, there is, it is, it is good. And it is wise to be, um, to be strategic, you know, like mm -hmm. God made strategic minds. He's mm -hmm. not, he didn't like, I don't have a strategic mind and God is like, shoot. Like I shouldn't right, have. Though. Put that yeah. in that model. Or... They're getting too smart. We need to back <laughs> them off. Like the robots are, are attacking, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so like, that's a gifting, I believe. It's the way that God wired me to, to yep. do his plan and his purpose in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, like, I want to always um, be sure that, that I'm using that gift to worship to give glory to him not to bring the attention to myself like we were talking about what's the um it's the turning of attention from self to god um well you know what's fascinating for me with that is how often i've met there are certainly entertainers who are total egotists and you know anyone stepping on front of stage and expecting people should care what they do has some kind of ego involved that's just inevitable um but it is also true that some of the people who have been the most committed to the idea of connection through the medium that they have, have not been that I've met have been people in the general market. Like it is often the case that a rock star in a band is way more rounded and, you know, oriented towards acting and, and art than it is in the Christian space. Not, not to say that that's not, there are lovely examples in the Christian space too. I don't want to you know, make it sound like there's not. But you'd almost have this hope it would always be true that pretense and ego are less of a factor in the Christian space, and it is simply not the case. I, I think that part of it is that there is a pressure. I would imagine there is a pressure that, like, um, there was a point in my, my life that 
God closed a door. And I remember saying to him, like, you, you took me out of that. And now these, these people are vulnerable. I'm not there to look out for them. And, um, the response I got from God was like, I'm, I'm looking out for them. Like, can you just manage yourself a little here? Like, who do you you are? And, and you talk like the difference between a mainstream artist and a Christian artist is that I am certain that there is a pressure that if you do not go up there and you do not say these words and you do not speak this message, people will go to hell. Yeah. And if you stop, if you to do this, and if you don't, if you don't invest in the strategy and if you don't get on board and you don't do all the things that we have, we have shown to be effective. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so you just, I imagine that that pressure is just intense. Oh, if you're willing to feel it, there's plenty who aren't willing to feel it. And they're just, this is their avenue. But I remember I was, I was writing with Chris Llewellyn, Ren Collective. He's a friend of mine. And um, he was sort of saying, he's like, the problem with Christian music, as opposed to everything else, is that every song is an existential crisis. You know, like you're always weighing against all of these exterior standards that simply don't exist elsewhere. As long as you fit in the genre, you're good to roll, you know? And I, th- I think, I guess the thing too, is like, if, if you are a singer thrust in the limelight and you aren't geeky, you didn't read the theology books, you didn't go to Bible college, um, you're not, an, you're not academically wired, let's say, uh, and now you're being given a microphone to tell a room full of ministry people how to do something when what really happened, you wrote a song when you were 19. You know, like you just think of it, the disconnect there and how much um, putting on would be required, how much more imposter syndrome, because there's not really an infrastructure, the general market for a rock star to be treated like an expert on something, except being a rock star. So yeah. there's a sense in which like you can perform, you can sing, you can dance, you can write. There's podcasts and books about those things. That's great. But in the Christian world, add this almost theological expertise element to it for people who have a publishing deal and wrote a song. Yeah. And so, like, the imposter syndrome would have to come on thick. And and I was key in the first place. I've never felt feel I feel dumb. I mean, it's my name for Pete's sake. But like, I I feel like there's things I ought to know and I don't know. And the more I know, the less I know, and all of those things. But I've never felt like I couldn't, I didn't, I never, I never came to writing a worship song feeling like, oh, I don't have ideas that are worth sharing or I, I don't have some sense of being grounded logically. Um, that's a complicated subject, but, 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 but I, I do think there is this like, can you imagine how horrible it would feel to be loved constantly every day of your life for being someone you are not? someone wearing your face is beloved by a group of people and it is a play act the whole time yeah could you imagine how horrible it would feel yeah and and i feel like there is a tendency for that to be the case of pastors and christian musicians to a degree that goes far beyond that of actors and musicians because the actors and musicians can admit it yeah the actor can yeah. say, I am acting. This is me. That is me pretending to be that person. That was my job that day. 
Yeah. This is the me you know, and there's a, an obvious parent disconnect between character and the persona and the person. Yep. And it, I think in, in ministry, in ministry as it relates to media, in Christian music, the difference between the persona and the person is hidden. It has to be hidden. Yeah. And, and I say do that, I, death to that, enough of that. I want yep. my persona and my person to be the same thing. And there are people who do that well, and there are people who do not do that well. But nevertheless, the pressure to make that distinction very real, I think, is is monumental in ministry yeah. and, and yeah. A, a big part of maybe some of the issues that we're seeing. Yeah. Oh, that's good. One of the things that it kind of, to go back to an earlier point in our conversation, is like this pressure we put on not just young artists, but just artists in general who you know, they, the only thing they might be doing is writing songs in their bedroom. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, but just kind of the, the pressure we put on for not just that they would know how to teach theology, but that they would know how to teach all of it. Right. And that we would look at them for everything. And when, you know, we talked about Peter coming off the mountain and Peter so tied to that idea of like, this is who Jesus is. And this is my experience with him. And this is what I will preach until the day I die, until I'm no longer with you. This mm -hmm. is what I'm going to share. But Peter is not the same as Paul, is not the same as uh, any of the other writers, right? Yep. And leaders, and not just the leaders and writers, because that, that sort of breaks down some of the, the, the analogy, but just the, the, the pressure that we put on, you have to know all of it. Instead of, hey, you had a very real experience with Jesus and you had a very real moment where a certain piece of a piece of the entirety of theology, of the entirety of scripture, the entirety of what it means to be a follower of Jesus mm -hmm. spoke to you. And so mm -hmm. now you're going to share that. And mm -hmm. instead of going, hey, can we just talk about that? Mm -hmm. you no, know, we don't have to get into the particulars about you know anything else. Like, can we just talk about that a little bit? And yeah. let you be an expert in that one thing right. that is your experience. And so that the next person who, has, who is an expert in their experience and the next person is an expert in their experience. And it all builds this larger story oh, totally. and this larger library, if you will, of what it means to come together and say, this is who Jesus was. This is who Jesus was. This is who yes. the spirit it, it is, is. The responsibility to represent Jesus perfectly, not on me alone, but on the bread of yes. the giant part. Yes. And, and I, and I think with that, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it's just, it's just this, there's this real generational difference, I think though, in, and I think it's generational. We were talking about it at our church. Our church does these uh, Q and A's, um, as part of the sermon. So he got a 20 minute sermon and then there's been 20 to 30 minutes of conversation. And this is like, not like 10 people in a room. Like it's, it's now he's a brilliant teacher. So that's part of it. Um, but the older folk there, I've heard from the staff that there are older folks at the church who don't are like, let him finish his sermon. Right. So there is, there is a, uh, there appears to, I mean, we see that in demographic and attitude studies in the marketing space too. Millennials and younger have a desire for earnestness and a desire to do away with affect and pretense that Gen X also has. Gen X is just really cynical about it. Um, and then, I mean, I'm an Xennial, so I'm like right on that line. But um, the the boomers 
actually are more, much more comfortable, partly because how media was when they were growing up, are much more comfortable within affect and pretense. It is, as, as a group, it's not true of every person. In general, they can take someone's affect and be like, I can categorize that, I can live with that, I know what to do with that. But kind of the naked vulnerability that millennials romanticize, and Gen Z, I think, are balancing it out a little bit, but millennials love dirty laundry, let's go, you know? And, and so there is this sort of gap difference in how much we're willing to be ourselves that I think speaks to some of the demographics of Christian music. Reality is Christian music is not a millennial and younger platform. It is a Jax and boomer platform. And mm. so what you often have is a lot of young people and millennials trying to garner the attention of an audience that they can't even relate to in the first place. And so there's, there's a real tension there. And, and so on some level, we have to boil it down. To like, what I need to do is have real relationships in my life of people who I'm investing in. And what I need to do is be a part of something meaningful so that if I go out, share these things on social media, if I'm part of, you know, if people care about my song and they ask me to speak at their church, I'm doing that from, from a grounded place. It doesn't need this platform to work in order for me to feel like I still love Jesus. You know, I mean, the number of people I've heard who say the moment they didn't need to be a Christian professionally anymore, they found they weren't one anymore, is striking to me, you know? So I think, like, you're totally right. Everyone has their own thing to bear. Everyone is, everyone is their own shard of glass on the diamond as you rotate it. There's a degree to which we need each other to see Christ well. And that's absolutely, I believe that absolutely be, to be the case. Um but I, but I just think we, there is, and I'm, I mean, I'm an ex so here I go, romanticizing vulnerability. But like, I, I do think there's something to that. That's a correction to a real problem that we've seen yeah. play out. And I think the church is still very much struggling with that because of what the demographics of the church are, particularly white evangelicalism. I mean, your average millennial Christian is non-white. And, and we just don't, that's not the conversation that's being had, is it, in, in, mm. white, in American evangelicalism? So there's just this very real disconnect between the presentation of Christianity as it is and how it is shaping. I mean, you know, the future of, future of Christianity, as I can tell, and I'm, I'm fine with this, the future of Christianity, as I can tell, is not, you know, white Westerners. It's, it's a global church that is wrestling with how to do faith well and live by the spirit by all accounts. So it, we need to be listening to each other and being transparent and earnest in our conversations. I know I'm saying that a lot, but other, otherwise we're just presenting to each other until we die. <laughs> That's mm. the end, you know? Yeah. I, but I believe there's hope. I really do. I, I really think that we're in the beginning or beginning to be in the middle of a transition for what the church is to the world. Um, I grew up in Canada, which is by all accounts, a post-Christian country. Um, my experience was that that was a good thing. That it's a lot easier to tell someone who Jesus is when you don't have to untell them something someone else told them. And the thing they were told was really broken. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of grateful in a sense 
it's hard right now, but I think I think in the long run, many of the things we're going through will be really, really good for the church, good for the world as the church figures out how to be the suffering servant to their own communities and so on. Yeah. yeah. Somebody asked me a while back, like, what gives you hope? And I, I said, Jesus and Gen Z. Like, <laughs> that gift into, into the vulnerability. Because you do say that millennials like vulnerability, but millennials have also figured out how to market mess. Oh, presentation vulnerability. Yeah. Absolutely. There's TikTok um, people who, who they'll do these TikToks where they're like, shows the right before the influencer takes on and they're like sort of messing things up and pulling little bits of hair out. And they're like, sorry, I look so flustered. Sorry, I look so flustered. Golly. Yeah. But they curated the mess. Yep. Um, but the thing that I really like about, and, and I will tell you that there was a point this week that I stopped and thought about that question. Somebody said, what gives you hope? And I said, Jesus, Gen Z. And at this youth camp this week, there was a day I thought of that question and I was like, is that still true? Like, yeah, right. We're yeah. in the middle. There, there, yeah, there, I read a study actually, because um, it's funny, you think of like misinformation as a boomer problem. That's a thing people talk mm -hmm. about all the time, as if yeah. boomers don't think critically about media because of how they were raised within media. And there's a degree of truth to that. Mm -hmm. I was reading a study that Gen Z basically have the exact same problem in that they engage a lot of media and they think more critically about media, but they don't think about basically Trojan horse media at all. So there's certain things that aren't presented as worldview oriented that end up becoming worldview formative in very significant ways. And this was like a New York Times piece, I find it, or it might've been Washington Post, but it was, it was sort of about this, the reality of the sheer volume of media that's being consumed, the way that it shapes our worldview if taken even critically in such large doses. And I think that's really where, I mean, I have five kids. A couple of my kids are Gen Z. It's like, oh, what are we, what are we doing here? Like the, the, the amount. So there, there's a, a marketing guy by the name of Seth Godin. If you guys like social media, you're familiar with him. Um, but he says there's a lot of behavioral economics and sociology can be boiled down to one phrase, which I say a lot. People like us do things like this. So if people think of themselves as belonging to a group, you can pretty accurately predict what that group will do. Even persons within it behave differently. And there's, there's a degree to which most of us going around in the world are parroting something. Mm -hmm. We're parroting something. And the truth is Gen Z isn't an exception to that because that is just human nature. Yeah. We are all parroting something. And so that's so. sort of why I think it's so important, particularly in America, gosh, particularly in America, to make sure that if we do one thing well, it is that our ultimate allegiance in life, the source of our things, the, the thing which is Jesus. Like, and if we, and not just in word, but in like, hey, if I have a political view or a philosophical view, how, where did that come from? Is that, no, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dualistic with it. Jesus redeems and pulls things into himself all the time. My, my point is that like the allegiance, the emotional deep subconscious allegiance needs to remain Christ because otherwise I'm a parrot. The question is who am I parroting? Not yeah. one of us is not one of us is an actual unicorn. We're all going around parroting. So it becomes really important then for it to be that thing. And that's where I worry. Um, Kuiper said a hundred years ago, like people have these ultimate objects. They have these ultimate authorities that they put in their lives. And if religion fails them, they will find it in politics. 
Yeah. Mm. And, I, and I think there's a degree to which that kind of playing out as I can see it in Gen Z. There's just a lot of parroting what they believe the correct political views to be to each other at the same time. And it's, 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 it's tough. It's, it's just, we're in a tough moment where honestly, even as a guy who's putting out social media, maybe you guys feel the same way. Um, I don't think human brain is built for the volume of input that we have in terms of voices and media. So yeah. there's, there's really something I think we're at the, I think we're, we've not yet figured out. We're not at the final answer in jeopardy yet. Still, yeah. we're still toying with the words and there will be some casualty. We think everybody's got a pocket and a pulpit in their pocket, but we don't think that the mic needs to be on 24 seven. Exactly. Like, yes. Yeah. And I, I will say that I did come around when I asked myself that question in the middle of uh, of youth camp, I, I said, you know, I, that's still my answer. I'd still have a lot of hope yeah. for the kids and, Oh, yeah, uh, me too. For the, like, the, I can see the trouble where the church is in right now, but I can also see, like, um, because they're willing to think critically and because they're mm -hmm. willing, um, I mean, they're just, they're open. They're more mm -hmm. open. Yeah. And um, they're more, they're more, ex I mean, There are kids who just will just as 17 year old dudes will be like, I'm really into Minecraft. And it's like, when I was 17, the guys would have been like, I am not into little kids video games. That's for sure. And don't come for me. You yeah. know? Yeah. And like there are teenagers with whole accounts just on poppets, you know, yeah. like, like the, if this is what you like, this is what you like and it's okay. Yeah. No, yeah, they're more yeah. comfortable with themselves than previous. Yeah, years. I think you know the fascinating thing is like we're right at the beginning where they've been handed the keys to the car, as far as like being hired on on church staffs and organizations, and you know like we're in this moment where we're about to see once once the generation gets comfortable with driving the car, mm -hmm. right? Like where do they want to take it? You know, because mm. right now they're they're learning what what those systems are, right? Um, and and I I think yeah, just in a, a moment where, yeah, we're just gonna see where it goes. You know, yeah. Um, but no, that's a, that's some great conversation. That is really good. I think, um, man, I, we would love to have you have you back. First of all, Elias, just sure. to continue yeah. to talk this is about great. Fun. I think even I mean I think even there was a question I had about. Uh, I'll, I'll save it for next time. I'll, I'll save it for off, <laughs> offline. Cause, uh, but so we do, we do this thing where we ask two questions. Yeah. And, and I think um, I'm, I'm excited to hear your answers just because of your um, stance on vulnerability and earnestness. Just, Oh boy. Okay. Very uh, excited. Of where this might go. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so we ask these questions. If, if you're listening to the show, Excuse me, if you're a listener of the show, you know that we ask these questions because we want to see the wide gamut of what it means to succeed and fail, win, lose, whatever, whatever sure. opposite ends of the spectrum you want to, to name them. But um, we just want to know, um, tell us a, a little bit, uh, a time or a story or an example of you're trying to do the things that you've ta just talked about online you're trying to minister online and it just did not go the way that you thought it should <laughs> oh wow i mean 
it never has. Like it's never gone the way that I, that I think it should. Mm. Um, in, in that, like I have high expectations and, and I, I really work at it and enjoy it. I, I enjoy that conversation, but I'm endlessly surprised at what people connect to. Like probably pieces of mine that have gone like mini viral or whatever. Um, I thought I didn't think they were any different than the rest of what I did. So I'm, I'm like music. I mean, music, acting, uh, social media, I think if you're doing it artfully at least and earnestly is a recipe in the acceptance of rejection. Like it's just a constant training in the acceptance of rejection. Um, you will fail for every success you have 30 yeah. times. Um, and so you just learn eventually, eventually you go, Oh, okay. I just fail enough times. And eventually it worked out that I've succeeded You know, Um, you fail your way into success. I think, it's, I think social media is very much the same way. Go ahead, Sarah. Well, we never want to end talking about failure. So our second question we always we always ask is, tell us about a time that you were ministering online, that you were doing, um, that you're teaching and discipling with your music online, and it succeeded. It went well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, I have always enjoyed the sort of Easter egg side of making records and sharing stuff online. Um, because I know that I'm not everyone's cup of tea. They might, they might like Festo, they might like enough or whatever. Um, maybe they like Kyrie and they think it's got a cool beat or something. Um, but like, what I really enjoy is getting the DMs of people who have a real story to tell. And they're, and they're like, hey, uh, and, and that happens. I'm, I'm grateful that that has happened in increasing measure as I've started to be online and more human. And, you know, this is going to sound like I'm focusing on the commerce of it and I'm not. It's just a really good illustration of what we're talking about. Um, Kyrie, as an example, uh, was out on playlists and people were hearing the song and all this kind of stuff. I made a couple of videos telling the story of Kyrie, talking about what Kyrie was about and being vulnerable in that, sharing experiences in my life that I hadn't shared, sharing, excuse me, sharing some of Zach's experience with his passion, of course. And the streams on Kyrie from me talking about Kyrie, not from me playing Kyrie, not from, you know, but them understanding it on a human level, the streams went up. So there's like, there's, there's a degree to which like the reality is everyone online is trying to connect with people or, or human connection is baked into us. There's a degree to which we want that and need that. And uh, the systems rightly so, start to incentivize that like be a real person people connect with and yeah you're entertaining yeah you're connecting you know there's a little bit of engagement stuff there but but i i found it fruitful that people were reaching out saying so and then the song like i was seeing it on both fronts i was seeing it in terms of people sharing their story and i was seeing it in terms of being vulnerable and earnest was leading people to engage the music even though i wasn't sharing the music that often yeah. um that was really cool. Yeah, well, which is good. a bit abstract, I know, for the question, but um, no. But I, I think I think it does get into like 
this platform that you're on, right? And the use of it. And it could be easy to just push the song in a bunch of creative ways, right? Mm -hmm. So no, that and I'm going to do that too, people would hear, Right, and that people would hear it. But to see that, like, that isn't the only way that you can have people connect with this song is by making it an earworm, but rather that the the story of connection uh, in that moment it reminded me we had a, a conversation with heather thompson day uh, mm. early in the days of the podcast and she talked about that story and how human the, the brain and how we react to story and how it, it changes our the way we engage with something is if we can engage mm -hmm. with the story that it influences us and so anyway um it can be used for good or it can be used for for bad right and so mm -hmm. um Anyway, well, I I have so much enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, um, me too. Yeah, Sarah, do you have any other questions? I am I am good. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, this was Likewise. this was great. And but um, I, we have wanted to talk to someone about worship online for the whole time, and I have just yeah. been looking for the right person. I'm I'm very glad that we came across you and that you agreed to come on. Oh well, thank yes. you. Yeah, this is great. I'm excited for you guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for your time and, and thanks so much. I think when I, it's funny because as I, <laughs> we logged on to the Zoom, I was singing the the snippet of the song and forgive me, I don't remember the name, but it's, you know, how many songs does it take to save the oh, world? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. that song is just stuck in my head. But because of, um, I think just that short clip, you know, that you've got on TikTok, but then also just, again, to your point, like I've watched a, a lot of your videos teaching and I can see like this, this lyric wasn't born out of, ooh, what's edgy, but really out of the, the heart of someone who is, I just want to, to bring myself to the microphone, right? Yeah, totally. Bring myself to, and, and um, but in a way that I think, especially in light of what's happening uh, across the world right now um, in the church, that, um that people can connect to on a personal level as well. If, yep. if they, if they personally haven't gone through something, they know someone who at least knows someone that, that has. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's great. Thank you so much. That, for that, that song time. actually comes out on the 24th. So it's like right around the corner. Yeah. Cause all I go around singing that the house is just that little, you know, 15 oh, seconds. Funny. <laughs> But uh, hey, thanks so much for your time and, and taking the time to sit with us today. And uh, we look forward to, to just more conversations around how the church, the people of the church can use social media and, and view it and see it and understand it as a way mm -hmm. um, to minister to people and use it in a way that is not just effective, mm -hmm. but impacts people to see the hope, the love, and the glory of God. So absolutely. Um, Love thank that. you for your time today. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks guys. Appreciate you both. All right. <clears throat> hey, we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time on the pocket pulpit. Make sure you guys go check out the, we've got a Patreon in the link. Um, and we've got, uh, just lots of notes. I'm going to link all the TikTok videos here in our show notes. Uh, go check out Elias and, and just, uh, yeah, just go check out his stuff online and, and explore with us. Just thank you for continuing to explore with us. I will see you next week.